of God. Come on, is anybody thankful? I, I hope we never get tired of that revelation. I hope we never take for granted that truth that I get to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing me out of darkness into your marvelous light. I praise you and I love you, Jesus. I'm so thankful that he's still splitting the seas so I can walk through it. I'm so thankful that he's still doing the impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. I'm so thankful that when other people gave up on me, when other people gave up on a backslidden preacher's kid, there was a God in heaven and there was people of prayer and faith that were praying for this kid. I'm thankful that there were people that prayed for me and a God that kept pushing and, and pulling after me and loving me. Amen. In spite of, of all the things that was going on, he rescued me and he changed me from being a slave to fear to a servant of Jesus Christ. Something that nobody else thought possible. Something I didn't think possible. But he's done it for me. He's done it for you. Amen. And if you're here and you feel like you need that kind of deliverance, if you're watching online and you feel like you want to move from fear to faith, from a slave to fear to a servant of Jesus, that can happen tonight. Amen. That can happen in a single moment in the presence of God. One more time, if you're thankful that he rescued you, would you praise him? Amen. You can remain standing. We're going to be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 16 and 17, and then verses 24 through 26. Matthew 27, 16 through 17, and then verses 24 and 26. While you're turning there, I'll just say that it's such an honor and privilege to be back with you on a Wednesday night. Thank you to my wife and to the entire music team for singing, worshiping, sisterhood for playing, always doing such a wonderful job. And amen. Amen. It's so great to be back with the family of God. As Brother Diaz mentioned when he was talking to Brother Jonathan, we are family. We are brothers. And I know that I'm, I'm the preacher, at least for now, and I'm holding the microphone. And, and I appreciate the respect that you give to the preaching and to the office of the preacher. But as you also know, before I am anything else, I am a saint to the Most High God. I'm your brother. Amen. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. And I'm just so thankful to be among family tonight. Thank you for taking me in and my wife in and uh, allowing us to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And to Brother, Brother Jonathan, I don't want to embarrass him, but I do want you to know that on behalf of my wife and I, we send our condolences to you and your entire family, and we love you. We're praying for you. We're here for you. Amen. So thankful we have the family of God to lean on during times of trouble and unexpected loss. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to read this scripture together, and I'll just say this. You know, some, someone once said, some preaching is soothing and some preaching is surgical. And um, I don't know tonight whether it will be soothing or surgical or both, but whatever it is, I know that Jesus has our best intention in mind, and he wants what's best for us. And, um, you know, someone also said once, Lord, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Amen. And so whatever the Lord wants to do, again, he has our best interests in mind. He loves all of us with all of his heart. And I'm just thankful for all that the Lord will do and all that he's been doing around here. We're thankful for what he did Sunday as well, filling Brother Donovan, I believe is his name, with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Speaking in other tongues and who knows what else our Lord did. So we're so thankful for his kindness. Let's read this scripture together. 
Matthew 27, 16 through 17. And they then had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? Skipping ahead to verse 24, the Bible says, after, of course, negotiating with the crowd and getting nowhere, and we preached about that a little bit Friday night for the youth rally, the Bible says that Pilate saw that he could prevail uh, uh, nothing, amen, uh, but rather a tumult was made. He took water, amen, and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. If only they realized what they were saying. And the scripture continues, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Amen. He delivered Barabbas in the place of Jesus Christ. And Pilate had asked them the question, Who, who do you want? Who, who, who will it be that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? And I'm going to stop there. The title of what I want to preach about tonight with the help of the Lord is simply this, which Jesus do you want? Which Jesus do you want? And don't worry, I know there's only one God and his name is Jesus, and we'll make sense of the title in just a minute. But before we're seated, why don't we lift our hands one more time, lift our voices to the Lord, let him know that we love him. Come on, I'm thankful that I'm preaching to a group of wonderful Christians, wonderful people that love the Lord. You are here tonight because you love our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful to be here, God. I'm thankful for your people. Lord, help me to preach appropriately and adequately to them. I'm asking that you would anoint my lips for your word is already anointed. I'm asking that you'd open every heart and mind and speak to us specifically, Lord. I'm asking that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in Carson City as it is in heaven, in this church as it is in heaven, and in our hearts as it is in heaven. God, we know that you're doing something. You're stirring our hearts and you're stirring the hearts of the people in the community. And Lord, we want to be as well equipped and prepared and ready as possible, Lord, to be used for your glory in these end times. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we believe. One more time before you're seated, would you put your hands together to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You can be seated tonight. Thank you for standing. I heard a story recently of a little boy who wanted to get himself a bicycle. And he figured he probably should pray about it. But the problem is he didn't know how to pray and properly ask for the bicycle. So he made the unique decision to watch Christian television programming to try to learn how to pray. Now before I go any further with the story, let me just say I obviously don't recommend doing that. I don't recommend watching anything on television, especially some of the Christian television programming on there. But nonetheless, this was a young, innocent lad, and the story continues that the first night, this young, uh, naive boy watched an enormous amount of preachers and televangelists streaming from their mega churches. And after watching the first night, he got down on his knees, and he prayed this prayer that he had learned from the screen. Almighty and everlasting God, if it is in your eternal plan, that I have myself a bicycle. May it be mine by tomorrow morning. World without end, amen. 
He had no clue what he was praying except the part about the bicycle. And he woke up the next morning, and of course, there was no bicycle. So, determined, he tried again, and he watched a different Christian television programming. Then he got on his knees and prayed this way. Dear Jesus, I declare my need for a bicycle. That it would be blue and silver and arrive by 6 a.m. tomorrow morning parked in front of my house. You see, someone had told him he just needed to be specific, and then Jesus would give him the bicycle, right? The next morning came, and the bike still was not there. So now the young boy turns to his last option, and his mother watches him go into a room, pick up a statue of Mary, and walk out into the woods. He then comes back out of the woods without the statue, goes to his room, gets on his knees, and his mother heard him pray this, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, you will give me this bicycle. Smart kid. And we laugh at this, and rightfully so, but that little boy represents something ironic and profound. He actually represents so many people in our world today who unfortunately, sadly, completely misunderstand who Jesus really is. In an attempt to buy in an audience, Western Christianity in many cases has mass-marketed Christianity causing some to behave as mere consumers instead of disciples and causing Jesus to be seen as a product rather than a person. This is a real problem, and this causes a great divide between us and the real Jesus of the Gospels, and it leaves many people distant or disappointed when they realize that God is actually not a spiritual vending machine. And then there are others out there who have a misguided view of Jesus. There are the unbelievers, of course, who don't believe in him, and they think that Jesus is not real or reliable, and they think you're better off just charting your own course alone. And then there are those out there who mistake their traditions for Jesus, and they end up stuck in religion instead of relationship. And there are sadly entire countries, amen, that, that could fit that bill that are stuck in religion instead of relationship. And if you were to look on a chart, on a chart it were to say that they were 100% or 90% a certain denomination. But when you travel to that country and you go into their cathedrals, they're empty. Because unfortunately it is nothing but tradition and they actually live in a post-Christian or post-truth society. And now what about those other people who are misguided and they only see Jesus through the lens of their past experiences? Jesus then becomes eerily similar to the family or the parents that they had or didn't have. Jesus then becomes eerily similar to that, to that, that parent, that dad, that mom that they had or did not have. And it seems that sadly, whatever, whatever uh, space someone might fit in, there are masses of people who know about him but do not really know him. And it seems there are even Christians who profess him, but they don't really know him. And it should not surprise us then that there are not more people who are truly in love with him because how can you love someone you don't know? Now, I don't mean to insinuate that we can ever fully arrive and ever fully have God perfectly figured out. 
But it is up to all of us to make sure that the Jesus we choose to serve is the real Jesus of the Bible, the real Jesus of the Gospels, the real Jesus of the New Testament. It is up to every Christian to make sure that we are allowing him to mold us into his image instead of trying to mold him into our image. We must make sure that the Jesus we choose to serve and worship and live for and try to exemplify is the one true living God revealed to us in the scriptures. We must make sure the God that we are following and the perspective that we have is the right perspective that we're seeing Jesus as he really is, as he meant to be seen, as he communicated about himself in the gospels. I don't want to see him just through the lens of my past experiences because they may not be very good experiences. I don't want to view him just like I view him as my boss or a CEO or as I view my my dad or my mom. And I don't want to view him just through the lens of tradition. Amen. Whether it's my own traditions or family traditions or past traditions, I don't want to view him through any other lens than the lens that he intended, which is his word. I want to see Jesus as he really is. I want to be as close to him as I can. I want intimacy with Jesus Christ. Is there anybody here that wants to know him more? Is there anybody here that wants to be with him more? Is there anybody here that wants deeper intimacy and a greater connection with him? Amen. The text that we read tonight about Jesus and Barabbas, we read that Pilate is in a difficult situation and of course he made the wrong decision. Amen. And of course, in God's economy, it was the right decision because the Lord was pulling all the strings and all of this was foreordained before the foundation of the world. But Pilate did not make a kind decision toward the Lord and he released Barabbas unto them instead of Jesus Christ, a man who was the innocent man in the situation. Amen. And, and, and so uh, uh, we, we have to understand a little bit about this story and about this context. In, in an extreme case of irony, for those that maybe didn't know, the name Barabbas actually and simply means the son of the father. Bar Abbas. Bar always means son of, and Abbas or Abba means father. So when you study the name Barabbas, most of us probably know this, but for those that don't, you will also find that in early Greek texts, many people feel like his first name was also possibly Jesus. Now, while this may seem shocking to some of us, the name Jesus is simply the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua, and it was a very popular name during the time of Christ. And so what I want us to see in this context is that the crowd that day at Jesus' crucifixion was then choosing between Jesus, the Son of the Father, and Jesus, the Son of the Father. With this in mind, Pontius Pilate's words in Matthew 27, 17 could be translated this way. When he was asking them, it could be translated this way. Which Jesus do you want? The Jesus who is called the Christ, the Messiah, or this other Jesus, Barabbas, the terrorist, the murderer, the insurrectionist? Which Jesus do you want was the question that Pilate posed to the crowd. And of course, a crowd being full of sin, they chose the wrong decision. They made the wrong decision, and they chose the Jesus that was not the authentic Jesus, the Jesus that was not the Messiah, the Jesus that was not God manifested in flesh. And I'm here to pose the same question 
Yes to a church that I know loves God. Yes to a church that I know loves Jesus. And I'm preaching this to me as well. This preacher's preaching to himself. And that question is, which Jesus do you want? And which Jesus do I want? Do we want the real, authentic God of the Old and New Testament? Or do we want some copycat? Do we want some imitation? Do we want some feel-good fake? I've just come to ask the church and those watching online a question. Which Jesus do you want? I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in the gospel buffet. I'm not interested in all the copycat churches. and I'm not interested in crossless Christianity. Hallelujah. I want the real thing and all that God has for me. I don't want the Americanized Jesus. I don't want the Republican or Democrat Jesus. I just want the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. I want the one who was despised and rejected of men, a man of many sorrows who is acquainted with grief. I want the man who has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I want the one who was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That's the only one that I want. That's the only one that I will settle with. That's the only one I'll be satisfied with, and I will not stop praying and believing and changing and doing whatever I have to do to make sure that my eyes are on Jesus, that I'm not distracted, that I'm focused on him, and I'm pursuing the true, genuine Jesus with all my heart. Is there anybody that wants the crucified and risen Savior more than anybody, anything else? Is there anybody that wants to see him, to be with him, for him to be around you, for him to hug you and hold you? Is there anybody that is still excited about the crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Come on, if some of you love Jesus, put your hands together for him. Hallelujah. Is it okay if I just preach Jesus to the church tonight? Hey, man, I am still excited about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul said that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to uh, unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I don't know about you, but I am still excited about the cross. I want to talk about the cross. I want to think about the cross. I want to preach about the cross, and I want to live the cross. I want to take up my own cross and follow Jesus Christ. I'm not interested in convenient Christianity. I, I want consecrated Christianity. I want Christianity that comes with the cross. I want to live as Jesus lived. I want to increase my capacity so I can be better, so I can be more like him, so I can love like him, so I can serve like him. Is there anybody that still got their mind on Jesus and says, that's who I want to be like? That's my goal. That's my aim. More than the money, more, more than all the other things that I have to do in this life, Jesus understands, but I don't want to be so distracted by the cares of life that I take my eyes off Jesus and he stops being my goal. Amen. Everything about him is what and who I want to be and I am not there yet, church. I am far from him, but I want to give myself back into his hands and be molded and shaped into his image. I don't want... 
I don't want to plateau. I don't want to just coast. I don't want to stay amazingly average. I want to be I want to be all in and give myself to that God named Jesus and say, God, do with me whatever you want to do. I want the real him. I am not going to choose a lesser version. I'm not going to choose a version that looks more like me than it does him. No, I want to follow Jesus Christ with all of my heart. Amen. Amen. I'm not interested in celebrity Christianity. I'm not interested in any of that. I, I want the real and true Jesus Christ every day of my life. And I want to be like him. I want to be like him. And you would think that everybody would want Jesus, right? Well, we've read our Bible. We know that that's not true. We just read the text. No, sadly, not everybody wants Jesus. Not everybody wants to be like Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected more than anybody else. But the Bible says he's acquainted with grief, a man of many sorrows. If you're here and you feel, you feel rejection, you feel like you've been rejected lately by whatever or who it is, and, and you're here and you're struggling with grief and sorrow, can I tell you there's a God who knows all about that. It, he knows so much about it, the scripture says he's well acquainted with it. He's well acquainted with grief, and he's well acquainted with sorrow, and he's well acquainted with rejection. Did, did you know, listen, I, I can offer you, the world can offer you a lot of different things for your pain, and some of it works okay, and some of it works temporarily, but can I tell you that Christianity alone is the only institution, the only thing in the world that offers someone a person for their pain. I, I could offer you a pill for your pain, and that would work for a few hours. I could offer you different things, but only in Christ and only Christianity alone can I offer you a person for your pain whose name is Jesus Christ. And I can go to the hurting, and I can go to the frustrated and say, hey, here's a person named Jesus who knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what it feels like. He loves you. He'll walk with you. He'll sit with you in your pain. He'll hug you, and you'll feel the love of God in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. Come on. There's a person for your pain and he's bigger and he's better and he's greater than anything else this world could ever offer us. Come on, one more time. If you're excited about Jesus, put your hands together. Amen. In prayer for this tonight, all I felt, I felt like Jesus was just telling me, preach me. Preach me. Just preach Jesus because when you preach Jesus, anything can happen. I believe when I start preaching Jesus and preaching the name of Jesus that the spirit of Jesus goes forth to every person in this crowd and he starts talking to people differently. I, I, I don't even have to be specific about every possible scenario because when you preach Jesus, when his name is magnified and loose, he'll start talking to one sister about one thing. He'll start talking to another brother about another thing. And the next thing you know, amen, redemption and healing and perspective and anointing and meaning starts falling on different people in the house and healing of mind and healing of heart. That's what happens when we preach Jesus. That's what happens when we preach the cross and him crucified. I am thankful thankful for the power of the name and the power of the cross. That's why we insist on baptizing in the name of Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus is the name that one day every knee will bow. Honey, if you have not yet bowed your knee to Jesus, you might as well do it now because there's a day where everyone's going to do it anyway. But you could do it now in obedience and love and submission to him. If you have not yet 
been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Can I just ask you, what kind of life do you want? What kind of future do you want? Which Jesus do you want? The one who will wash away all your sins or some copycat Christianity? I want all that Jesus has for me. Amen. Not everyone wants Jesus. And if we're being honest, even in the church, I'll be really honest. There's been times in my life where I thought I wanted Jesus, and Jesus convicted me and showed me that, you know what, you, you, you actually don't want me in this moment like you think you do because you know that to invite Jesus in this moment might mean to invite conviction. It might mean to invite change. So even in the church, I mean, I know we're all Jesus lovers, but if we're being honest, there's even people in the church that, that you know, we, we want to want him. But depending on what we're going through, maybe God's asking us to give something up and to surrender something and sacrifice something. And, oh, that's definitely a time where I don't know if I want to invite Jesus into my personal space then. Not if he asks something of me and not if I, oh, not if I have to give that. Not, not if I have to sacrifice that. Not if I have to love that person. Oh, oh, Jesus, just stay over there in your corner. And not, not if I have to forgive that person. No, I'll, I'll, I'll choose my Jesus. I'll, I'll choose my little statue. I'll choose my little idol over here because forgiving that person is too hard. And giving up my bitterness and my jealousy and my pride is too hard. So I'm just going to stay over here and choose this different Jesus. But Jesus looks down at us and says, hey, you said you wanted the real thing. Which Jesus do you want? So Matthew 8, 28 through 34 records the story of Jesus casting out devils out of a man. And he cast the devils into a herd of pigs. And, and this is what's so weird about this story. I, I'm still baffled by this. You know, he just got a whole bunch of devils out of a town. And you would think that a whole lot of people would be happy, thanking Jesus on their knees, just worshiping him. But that's not how the story ends. The story doesn't end with the townspeople thanking Jesus. It ends with them begging him to leave. And you know, it's weird, the townspeople actually had the same desire of the devils, because the devils begged Jesus to leave. And the devils were cast out, and now the townspeople were begging him to leave. It seems like that spirit, that demonic spirit, stayed around enough to where it actually influenced the townspeople's minds more than they thought. They were influenced by the spirit of the age and the spirit of that region more than they thought. And now here they are, instead of thanking the, the, the Messiah, thanking the Savior, thanking the only one who would have power to do that, they beg him to leave. And this is just another example of people preferring their slop over the truth, preferring swine over salvation, preferring pigs over the Prince of Peace. I don't know about you. I don't ever want this to be said of me. I, I, oh, hallelujah. I, 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 not, not everyone wants him, but listen, I want him, and you want him, and we want him in our lives, in our mind, in our midst. Hallelujah. I, oh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to be begging him to stay, not begging him to leave. And I want to make sure, I want to ask myself, Lord, I, I, I may have been a rough area for a long time. I, I, I may have been battling with some things for a long time. Lord, I want to make sure, not out of fear, but I just want to make sure that the spirits of the age and the spirits of my region and whatever it might be has not rubbed off on me more than I thought it has. Before I know it, that I'm, I'm, I'm making the same requests of Jesus that the demons were making of Jesus. I don't want to have more in, in alignment with hell than I do with Jesus Christ. 
I'm not saying that to cause unnecessary fear. I'm just saying I want to be right with the Lord. Amen. And I want to make sure that my desires are his desires. I want to make sure that I love what he loves and hate what he hates. Amen. And I don't love the world and the things of the world more than I love him. But I said that story to tell you, to just give an example, that Jesus, Jesus was really misunderstood. Those that have read your Bible, you're in your bread program, you know Jesus was really and still is misunderstood. The fact that Jesus is misunderstood now is nothing new because in Jesus' own lifetime, as I just demonstrated with that one scripture, that passage, he was highly misunderstood. The crowds did not know, his, in many, most cases, what his true purpose was. The crowds wanted to make him a king. The disciples, even the disciples, although some of them received a revelation throughout his ministry, Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, of course, Jesus blessed him because that was the true revelation. But, but most, many of the disciples, a long time throughout his ministry, they thought he was going to be a king too. They thought he was going to rule and reign on a physical throne and depose the, the Roman authorities and all of that. They thought that too. They misunderstood him, and they walked with him. The Pharisees thought he was a blaspheming revolutionary. And, I mean, he was, re he was revolutionary in his own way, changed the known world, but he was not a revolutionary like they thought he was, and he certainly wasn't a blasphemer. He was the one that created the very law that they professed to believe in and obey. His family did not understand him. His family castigated him for being about his father's business. Many times tried to rebuke him, tried to bring him back home. Why do you got to do all that stuff? Why, why do you got to live for the kingdom like that? What is this father's business business? Why, why don't you just stay here and, and woodwork with dad? And why don't you just stay here and be there for your siblings? And come on, mama's heart's beating too much. Don't, don't leave like that, Jesus. Don't. But, but they did not understand. He was misunderstood. They didn't know what Jesus was all about. And before I go any further, and I know I'm going through some rabbit trails. I'm just trying to touch everything. The Lord, I feel like the Lord's wanting to touch if you are here and you feel misunderstood amen you just feel a deep feeling in your heart like you are misunderstood and maybe that's due to some of your own decisions and maybe you're still still figuring that out and working that out but you can't shake that feeling and everywhere you go you just feel misunderstood and you try to go home to your family maybe you're the only one living for God and you just don't feel like they understand you they just misunderstand what you're doing and maybe your family does live for God but maybe you've expressed some dreams for them and some risks that you want to take for the kingdom but instead your family's like, why you got to do all that? Why you got to be about all that? Why can't you just sit on the chairs like everyone else? And why can't you just do something simple? Don't go out. Don't be crazy for Jesus. Don't be radical for Jesus. Listen, to anybody here that feels misunderstood, can I tell you Jesus knows exactly what it's like to feel misunderstood. But he pressed on anyhow. And he had his earthly ministry anyhow. And he did what he was supposed to do anyhow. Can I tell you there's a God in heaven that relates with you that understands where you're at. He's got your hand in his hand. He's walking with you. And even though you might be misunderstood, don't let that discourage you. Don't let that keep you down. Don't let that keep you from doing great things for Jesus Christ. Everyone else may not understand your vision. Everyone else may not understand your goals. But if you get a yes from God and a yes from your pastor, then you can do anything, honey. You can do anything. Hallelujah. I'm concerned that there are many today, just like then, who misunderstand Jesus as well. And I'm preaching this, as I mentioned, to myself as well. I, God's been dealing with me over the past few weeks, months, and years. The thought, the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is pursue intimacy with me. 
That's the thought that keeps coming to my mind. And, you know, sometimes at churches there will be young men or young ladies that ask you to sign their Bible, which is an honor, and I really feel uncomfortable doing it because I don't feel like I should be signing anything, but it's an honor, and so I do it. And, and what I've been putting in, what God has been putting on my heart is what I've been putting in a lot of people's Bibles. Pursue intimacy with Jesus Christ. But if I, if I misunderstand him, if I'm not willing to let him change my perspective about him, if I'm not willing to let him change my perspective about the world or, or, or the people of God or anything that I might have a wrong perspective about, then I will not be able to go as deep in him as I could. I will not be able to have as much intimacy with him as I could. If I am not humble and willing to let him radically change and transform my mind and my heart and my perspectives, I will not have the intimacy that I can have. And how many know that none of us have made it? You say, well, that's great, young man, but you're, you're still young. You know, I've been living for God for 50 years, so I've pretty much got it all figured out. I don't think any of us would dare to say that because none of us have made it. All of us, there's still more room to grow. There's more to learn about Jesus. There's more intimacy to be had with Jesus. Come on, is there any elders? You've had some great moments with God, but even you can testify. I want more intimacy with him. I, I, my, my life's not done yet. I, there's more I want to see and more. I want to do in the kingdom of God. There's more of God's voice I want to hear. There's, there's parts of me that I still want to change. There's a deeper level that I want to go to in Jesus Christ. And can I, can I tell you, we are called, we are supposed to enjoy Jesus. Enjoy our walk with him. Enjoy our relationship with him. Can I just tell someone, since I'm already just, just taking a shotgun and firing all over the place, if, if you do not enjoy Jesus, then I can promise you you don't yet understand him. Can I ask the church, young people, elders, everyone in between, do you enjoy Jesus? No, I mean, do you really, do you really enjoy him? And if the answer to that is no, you don't have to feel condemned. You don't have to feel like God is looking down on hatred. No, God appreciates an honest answer. And the sooner that you're honest and you say, you know what? No, I, I, I can't really seem to find joy. And I'm frustrated and angry all the time. And I don't have a lot of happiness or, or joy is a better word in my walk with God. I, I, I don't have that. Listen, listen. The, the sooner that you talk about these things with God, the sooner you address things, the sooner you focus your attention on these things, then God can help you fix it and you can step into a greater joy and greater dimension with God. But the first step is admitting it. It's admitting it. So don't feel bad if that answer your mind is, you know what, honestly, I don't think I really have been enjoying him. I don't think I really have been enjoying his presence and enjoying uh, a communion and fellowship and intimacy with him like I could or like I once did. You've got to be able to be honest to answer that question. That's the only way that you're going to get back into the deep depths with him in the riches of his loves, in his, in, in his arms. You know, God, 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 you know, this is going to sound really simple, and probably most of the elders have already got this revelation, but God showed me a, a, a bit ago, you know, this is just one small example, how our minds can play tricks on us, maybe due to trauma we experienced growing up or just flawed perspectives that we got from wherever. But, you know, I, I really like to be outdoors. I, like, I was talking to Sister Hood and my wife about it. I like to be outdoors. I, I spend a lot of time cooped up in a plane or a car or an office somewhere studying. And so there's something in me. If I can just be in the outdoors all day, I will. I'll be that weird guy. You walk by the park and I'm just staring at birds and I'm like touching trees and just feeling leaves. And I'm just so thankful, amen, to, to not be in a little shoebox somewhere. And so with that, I really love to pray outside. 
Anybody love to go on a walk and pray? Amen. I love to just go on a walk. I love to pray. I love to just be out in God's creation with the creator, talking to him, feeling his presence. And, you know, there was a time where I would do that, and I would really enjoy it. I mean, I would love it. I had a cup of coffee in my hand that I made, and I'm just walking, loving it. And, and, and then when it was over, and if I had a sermon to get ready for whatever, I would literally tell myself, you're going to laugh, I'd tell myself, all right, I have to go now and start really praying. I have to go now and start really praying and really studying for the sermon. Because I'm enjoying this too much, so therefore it can't be spiritual. I, I, I'm enjoying this too much, so therefore this can't be like, I can't really be getting anywhere with God. This can't be real prayer. You know, I, 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 I've got to be done with this. I've got to go find a shoebox somewhere. I've got to put on sackcloth and ashes and bang my head against the ground and force myself not to move for two hours. And then when it feels like suffering and when it feels painful and when I dislike it, ah, then that's the really spiritual stuff. Some of you are smiling because you know how flawed of a perspective that is. We were created and meant to enjoy Jesus. I can spend two hours outside with a cup of coffee and talking to Jesus, and guess what? I can get an entire sermon out of that too. I don't have to suffer in order to be spiritual. I know sometimes God calls us to suffering, but I don't have to make myself miserable in order to feel better about myself, in order to feel like I'm somehow a better Christian. Come on. I don't have to take the whip and beat my own back with it. Do you understand? Jesus already took the stripes for us. By his stripes we are healed. So he looks at us and says, honey, put the whip away. Stop beating yourself up. I don't need your help. I already took the whip for you. Don't do that again. Amen. Love me. Trust me. Enjoy time with me. If you are here and you don't feel like you've been enjoying your walk with God, you want to have revival, this is the first step, amen, to have a revival go on in the inside of your heart and to step into a place where you say, ha, ah, I feel joy with Jesus again. If your favorite thing to do is to drive 90 miles an hour down the freeway listening to worship music and that's when you feel connected to God, then do it and pray and don't feel even a little bit bad for it. It's time for us to start breaking through some of these old negative habits and these old mindsets and these old traditions and say, I am going to enjoy my creator. I'm going to enjoy my Savior. He loved me. He gave me eyes to see the mountains in the back. He gave me eyes to see the color on the trees, and he gave me taste buds to taste the good things of this world. God would not have given me those things if he did not want me to enjoy him and enjoy his creation. Somebody praise him. I feel a liberty just preaching about that right now. Oh, come on. Somebody take a second and really pray him. Pray right here. Hallelujah. Come on. Some of us need to let the joy of the Lord back into our heart. I'm not saying you haven't been through stuff. I'm not saying there hasn't been a struggle. But you need to let the joy of the Lord come back into your heart tonight. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The Bible says... Listen, you say, preacher, you don't know what I've been through. Listen, I'm not making light of anybody's situations. If you've had anything really traumatic happen of late or a recent loss, listen, I am not here to tell you what to do or not to do, but I know that Jesus is with you and will help you through this. But, but can I tell you something? Can I tell you, and I don't have time to go into a whole sermon about this maybe next week, but, but you, you study the scriptures, you understand through Psalms, Proverbs, Lamentations, and elsewhere that grief is intimately connected with joy. I don't have time to go into how it all works, but, but, but in the kingdom of God, 
I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about in the kingdom of God. God knows how to work all things together for good, and God knows how to connect those things. That's why he was a man of many sorrows, acquainted with grief, and yet he died for our sins and gave us the Holy Ghost, which gives us unspeakable joy. The, the two are connected. The grief and the pain had to happen for the redemption and the deliverance to take place. And this is why the Bible says that those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Hallelujah. Some of you have done a lot of sowing in tears. Some of you could probably plant 20 cornfields with all the tears that you have been sowing as of late. And can I tell you something? If you keep putting your pain in its proper place, if you keep putting your pain in the palms of God, then he promises there will be a harvest of joy. I'm thankful for a harvest of souls. I believe we're going to keep seeing a harvest of souls, but I also am going to preach to you about a harvest of joy for weary saints of God that need the joy of Jesus Christ back into your heart and back into your mind. You need to get that song in your spirit again. You need to get that joy into your mind again and say, listen, I don't understand it all. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I trust him. Like we preached about last week, he didn't just save me to leave me. He saved me and he keeps me. He's not just mighty to save. He's mighty to keep me as well. Hallelujah. Oh, I hope tonight, you know, and we'll have a chance to pray in a few minutes. I hope tonight somebody goes home, and I know you may have to be up early for work, but five minutes before you go to bed, amen, I hope that you just smile by your bedside and lift your hands and just say, I love you, Jesus. I hope you just do a little dance and a little jig around your bed. I hope you go into the living room and take your spouse's hand, amen, and just kind of just dance around the living room a little bit and say, honey, we're going to be okay because God is with us. Which Jesus do you want? Do you want the Jesus that, that is just depressed all the time and the Jesus that teaches all of his followers that you just got to be down and you just got to beat yourself up all the time? Or do you want the real genuine Jesus that's full of joy and says, hey, there's more in me that you've yet to experience. There's more peace. There's more joy. There's more hope than you have known as of yet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. If there's anybody, I believe tonight, if you're someone here, even if it's just two or three people, and you've felt guilty about feeling good, you felt guilty about enjoying him, you felt guilty about any positive emotion. And we're not talking about positive emotion in regards to sin. If sin makes you happy, you need to repent. I'm talking about all, all, the, all the good things and just positive emotion and just joy or moments of happiness, and then you feel guilty somehow for experiencing it. God has sent a sermon and a preacher to help deliver you tonight. You can be delivered of that tonight. Your mindset can switch tonight. Come on. Your, your value is not just tied to whether or not you're suffering all the time. You are valuable. You are loved by him no matter what. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. i got to move quickly. I, I, I gotta, I'm going to move quickly here. The rest of this is going to be like a bullet train, all right? I just had to park there for a minute because I really feel like the Lord was talking to someone. And you know what? At the end of the day, if the only Lord was talking to me, then I guess I'll be selfish and I'll say thank you, Jesus. I, I, I am concerned, though. You know, that's just one example of it. But I, I'm concerned that, that we sometimes mold Jesus into our image instead of allowing him to mold us into his image. So I have a question again for us today, church. Hopefully you're not tired of it yet. Which Jesus do we want? 
just a few examples, and I'm going to preach and give a few examples, and I believe God's going to speak to you specifically, and I may not give an example that most fits your situation, but Jesus can speak to you and convict you specifically of a way that you've been viewing him or a way that you've been seeing him that is not correct, accurate, healthy, or biblical. So question, do we want the Americanized Jesus that promises us a perfect life of health, wealth, and prosperity with no suffering at all? Or do we want the crucified Jesus who helps make sense of our suffering when it comes because it is inevitable? He who suffered a whole lot because he loved the world just that much. Which Jesus do we want? Do we want the politically correct Jesus who never speaks the truth for fear of offending someone? Or do we want the real Jesus who fearlessly spoke the truth always and who said in Luke 7, 23, that those who are not offended by him would be blessed. Because he knew that he would speak some offensive words. Do we want the Marxist Jesus? Most of us probably would say, no, I hope. Whose followers try to create revolutions through anarchy, division, and violence. Or do we want the Jesus that started a revolution through love, forgiveness, peace, and sacrifice? Do we want the traditionalized Jesus who is primarily concerned with all of our man-made traditions? Or do we want the Jesus who is more concerned with the state of our hearts? The Jesus who said in Matthew 15, these people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Which Jesus do we want? Do we want the tribal Jesus whose followers spend more time fighting with their brothers than winning the lost? Or do we want the real Jesus who commands us to actively love one another despite our differences and to never be distracted from our mission to reach the lost? Do we want, do we want conference Christianity where our lives are about nothing more than socializing with other Pentecostals and becoming overfed connoisseurs of good preaching? A sheep among sheep context? Or do we want consecrated Christianity where we spend our time helping lost people and taking risks for the kingdom of God, a sheep among wolves context, as Jesus said he sends us out into in Matthew 10 and 16? Which is it that we want? Do we want the macho Jesus? Most of us have seen this before. Who teaches us to ignore our feelings, to refuse to be vulnerable and honest and transparent, and refuse to examine our private world. Is that the Jesus we want? Or do we want the real Jesus, who was emotionally whole, not afraid to be real and vulnerable, and who hung barely clothed on a cross, exposing his broken heart for the salvation of the world? Which Jesus do you want? The one that hides everything and the one that refuses to examine the inner life and refuses to take care of your soul, which is one thing that Jesus came to help you with. Or do we want the Jesus who exposes it all? And if we'll let him, we'll go into the deepest depths of our heart, pull things to the surface, and heal us of things that we didn't even realize was in the depths of our heart. Which Jesus do we want? Do we want the tyrant Jesus, who is a cruel master who leaves us feeling confused, insecure, and worthless? Or do we want the real Jesus, who flipped earthly power structures on their head, gave himself as a servant of all, and who rules not with an iron fist, but with hands scarred by love? 
Which Jesus do we want? What about the busy Jesus who teaches us that unless we're exhausted all the time, then we're not really serving him? We kind of touched on that a moment ago. Is that the Jesus that we want? Where we're trying to constantly prove ourselves and earn value and constantly striving, amen, by the work that we do and we never feel like we're enough. Is that the Jesus we want? Or do we want the authentic Jesus who said, come to me all who weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Some of us in this house have not experienced spiritual rest in a long time and perhaps not even ever. And Jesus is here to say, I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. Soul care. We take care of our bodies. We take care of our minds to some degree. We, we do all these different things, but so often we neglect the care of our soul. And only Jesus can care for our soul and give us rest. You say, but preacher, we're, don't you know we're soldiers in God's army. We're fighting in a battle. There's no time for rest. And someone will respond and say, don't you realize that rest is a strategy of war? Any good general, any good admiral will tell you that unless his troops get rest, unless those soldiers get emotional, physical, and spiritual rest, then the next day when they go to fight, they're going to fall apart. Their aim's going to be off. They're going to get destroyed by the enemy. Rest is a strategy of war. And some of us, if we're in this war, amen, if we're in this spiritual battle, amen, then we got to make sure that we take time to let our souls rest, that we have alone time with God, that we have silent time with God, amen, that we do, that we disappear for a little bit and take a few Sabbath days with our family to reconnect with our family and with God. We have to accept the rest that Jesus wants to give us. Which Jesus do you want? What about the popular Jesus? I'm closer to being done than you might think. What about the popular Jesus whose followers are always concerned with reputation and always concerned with what people might think of them? People, some people spend their entire Christian life, amen, uh, uh, making it about that, making it about what people might think of them and reputation. Is that the Jesus that you want? Or is it the real Jesus who made himself of no reputation, as it says in Philippians 2 and 7, who is willing to take the lowest of the low rep reputation, the lowest of the low in the terms of that hierarchy of that day, made, took upon the form of a bondservant, amen, and, and basically took upon, he had, he had no rights, he was pretty much a, a, a non-citizen with what he chose to be, born to a very humble and modest family that was persecuted and looked down upon. Jesus chose this, can I remind you? He didn't have to do that. He could have been born in a palace of privilege, but he made himself of no reputation. So which Jesus do you want? Do you want the one whose followers are always concerned with what everyone thinks and is just about what everyone's wearing and just about who knows who? Or do you want the real Jesus who made himself of no reputation for your sake and for mine? What about the consumer Jesus whose followers place their faith and their joy in their possessions? Or do you want the real Jesus who said in Luke 12, 15, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. These are Jesus' words. Or there's the performance-based Jesus whose followers believe their intrinsic value is tied to however well they are doing and thus they are constantly trying to earn Christ's love and affection. 
or you can have the real Jesus whose affection is unconditional. And the Bible says who loved us while we were yet sinners in Romans 5 and 8. That means we did nothing to earn his love. We were still sinners, messed up, cracked out, drugged out, and yet he saw us 2,000 years in the future. He still loved us and died for us even though we could do nothing for him. That's the Jesus that I want. Amen. Can I ask you again as I'm coming to a close, which Jesus do you want, the real or the imitation? Amen. Hallelujah. I don't want some copycat version. I want the real God, Jesus Christ, who can change me, who can convict me, who can transform me. I'm tired of man-made traditions. I, I, I know not all traditions are bad, but not all of them are good either. And I want Jesus more than anything else. I don't want to make him in my image. I don't want to look up to God and see something that eerily looks like myself or eerily looks like someone in the past or a boss or a father figure. No, I want to see Jesus the way he really is. I want the real radical Jesus. I want the one who taught radical love. Anyone with me? I'm coming to a close. The one who taught radical forgiveness. I asked you if it was okay if I just preached Jesus tonight. Is anyone still excited and in love with your Savior? I want the Jesus who preaches, ra who, 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 who taught radical peace. I want the Jesus who taught radical sacrifice, radical joy, and radical transformation. Some of us have not even tapped into all of the blessings and, and, and changes that God wants to give us. And some of us have been living. I was raised in church. I've been living for God for a long time. And there's more that I have yet to experience. There's some of you, you've been living for God for a long time. And there's more in Jesus that you have not yet tapped into. There's more understanding. There's more wisdom. You know, some of us were brought out of the pig pen. I was guilty as charged, backslidden preacher's kid. Made a lot of mistakes, did a lot of stupid things in my teen years, but God had mercy on me, saved me and forgave me. But, but I know what it's like to live in the pig pen and be that prodigal. And so we come back from the pig pen, and as the story says, there's the father. He's, he's waiting there. He sees us from afar off. He runs and hugs us. He has the father's house prepared for us. But some of us go back into the father's house, and we're in the father's house, but we're still thinking like we're in the pig pen. We have a father's house reality, but a pig pen mentality. Some of us have been in the father's house for a while, but there's still things in our mind that the Lord wants us to surrender to him, to take inventory of, to think, to reflect, to notice, so we can give it to God and he can change it in us. I don't know about you, but I just want the real Jesus. I just want more of him. And he loves you. He loves everybody in this house. And there's a God that wants to help you, change you, and transform you. There's a God that wants to help teach you how to forgive. Because there's some of us, I know we talked about it last week, there's some of us that still have this burden on us that would be released once we forgive. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. There's still some people that need to forgive. And God's not mad at you, but he's tugging on you. He's trying to help you. Because he understands that your mental and emotional and spiritual health will be greatly increased when you forgive. In fact, I would even go so far, amen, I'll just say this. I have seen before where there are people that even have physical illnesses because they have yet to forgive someone who did something so painful to them years ago. The body will keep the score, okay? And I have seen where people forgive only through the power of Jesus Christ. 
that, that can only be done in, in, in Christianity, in Jesus. But Jesus gives them the power for, to forgive. They release it to God. They release that bitterness and that anger and that hurt. And I'm telling you, some of their physical symptoms start to go away and be healed. That's how powerful that is. That's how powerful this is, what I'm talking about. Which Jesus do you want? The one that will let us just be comfortable and stay the way we've always been or the one that's calling us to change and to greater? Amen. I'm concluding tonight. I want to tell you, James, a man named James Stewart, a Scottish theologian, gave one of the most incredible descriptions of Jesus I've ever heard. And I'm preaching this because I love it, and I just want all of us, if we could just be 2% more in love with Jesus tonight than when we came in, then, then my, my mission's accomplished. And I know I'm preaching to Jesus lovers tonight. This James Stewart gave one of the most incredible descriptions of Jesus I ever heard. He briefly described Jesus this way. He said he was the meekest and the lowliest of all the sons of men. And yet he spoke of coming on the clouds of heaven with the glory of God. He was so austere and stern that demons and evil spirits cried out in terror at his coming. Yet he was so genial and approachable that the children loved to play with him and the little ones nestled in his arms. No one was as kind and compassionate to sinners, yet no one spoke such red-hot, scorching words about sin. A bruised reed he would not break. His whole life was love, yet on one occasion he demanded of the Pharisees how they expected to escape the damnation of hell. He was a servant of all, washing his disciples' feet. And yet masterfully he strode into the temple and the hucksters and the money changers scrambled in a rush to get away from the fire they saw blazing in his eyes. He saved others, yet at the last himself he did not save. There is nothing in history like the union of contrasts which confronts us in the Gospels because the mystery of Jesus is the mystery of God, the mystery of divine personality. Jesus, as we know, is God in flesh. And I've come to preach to someone tonight that Jesus is the embodiment of perfection. I've just come to remind someone that Jesus is the perfect balance. I've come to remind someone that his grace is sufficient for your problems and your situation. I've come to tell someone Jesus is better than what you've been told he is. Whatever you've been told Jesus is, even if it's you've been told he's good, guess what? He's better than anything you've been told he is. He is abundant life. He is the fullness of joy. He is the peace that passes understanding. He is purity. He is the well that never runs dry. He is the transformation for your mind and the healing for your heart. He is both the perfect father and the perfect mother. He is the friend that will give his life for us. He is meaning. He is contentment. He is perfect love. He is true freedom. And the true Jesus, God in flesh, is the one that we've been looking for, the one that we need, and the only only one that will satisfy us. I know we know this in our heads, but do we know it in our hearts? Is there something in our heart that says, you know what? I know I love him, and I know I know him, and I go to church, and God loves me, and I love him, but there, there's, there's more that I could have of him, and there's more things that I need to subtract so I can make room for God to add back into my heart. Is there anyone that's burdened to, to know him more? Is there anyone that says, I want to know him more and I want more intimacy with him and I want to be more like him? When I described him in that, in that quote by James Stewart, that, that theologian, was there anything that ringed in your heart that said, I want to be like that? I, I want to have that balance. I, I want to speak the truth in love and yet be, be gentle with people. And I, I want to be wise as a serpent but harmless as a dove. I, I want to be like Jesus.
But in order to be more like Jesus, we have to first search ourselves and discover the ways in which we are lacking and discover the ways in which we are not yet like him. We have to ask ourselves, and I close with this, how does my view of Jesus shape the way I live? Is it the right view? Have I asked myself that in a while? Have I just assumed that I have everything right and down when there's more that I need to learn? Do I have the biblical view of Jesus or did I just adopt this view somewhere along the way? And it's not the worst view, but it could use an upgrade. You got to ask yourself, in what ways have I accidentally shaped him into my image instead of the other way around? In what ways has Jesus started looking more like my idols than the true God of heaven? You got to ask yourself, do I see his church properly? Do I view my brothers and sisters correctly? Do I look at them the way Jesus looks at them? Do I look at them the way I'm supposed to look at them? Do I honor the weaker vessels like Jesus does? Have I focused on obeying Jesus' teachings? Or have I been distracted by different trials or cares of life? I could go on and on and on, but now it's up to you as I'm done preaching. It's up to you to ask whatever question that Jesus is putting on your heart to ask him. Now it's up to you to look towards heaven and say, Jesus, have I or have I not? Which Jesus do you want? Do you want more of him? I know I do. I don't want more of anything else. My prayer is not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus, make me more like you. I've got things in me that I don't really like, to be honest. I've got pride sometimes, and I've got a temper sometimes, and I've got frustration, and I've got all these human things in me, and I don't know about you, but I want to die daily. I don't want to get so comfortable. I don't want to travel and preach so much that I think i got it all together just because I'm behind a pulpit. I don't. I need Jesus just as much as everyone in this house. I want him. I love him. I need him. Is there anybody whose hearts are stirred just for Jesus? Nothing else. No added frills. No, no extra wisdom painted around the margins. Just Jesus. It's just Jesus simply enough for you. If, if you don't get an upgrade here, maybe you don't get the new job, or maybe you don't see all the things that you want to see, is Jesus just simply Jesus enough to keep you content and full of purpose and full of joy and satisfaction? I'm done preaching, and these altars are open. I've already gone longer than I intended to, but I want us to come. If God spoke to you in any way, I know this is a little different, but I believe this is a part of revival. Amen. Why don't you come and let your hearts be revived? Why don't you come and ask the questions that you feel like Jesus is wanting you to ask. If he's already talked to you and already put a nudge on your heart, respond to that, explore that. Come on, come on, that's it. Just come and talk to him. There's more of him. There's more of him. If you want to make an altar at your pew, go ahead, go ahead. I know it's a Wednesday night. I know some of us are tired, but don't let this moment pass you by. You don't have to come and jump and scream and shout, but make sure that you pray tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus, we love you. The singers are gonna sing in just a moment. Amen, but let's pray, let's pray. Jesus, less of me and more of you. I want to decrease so you can increase in my life. If there's anything that I need to give and surrender, Lord, I'll do it. Less of me, Jesus, and more of you. More of your glory and wisdom and power in my life. Lord, help me to love what you love and hate what you hate. Hallelujah. Lord, help me to be someone that cares more, not cares less. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, he loves you. That's why he's spoken to you tonight. Don't feel, don't feel depressed or condemned. Come on, let the joy of the Lord come into your heart as he talks to you. Come on, just because he convicts you doesn't mean he's condemning you. He loves you. He's here to help you. Talk to him tonight. Jesus, I want more of you. What else can I do, Lord? What needs to change about how I think?
What perspectives can change? How can I grow? Lord, I want joy back. Teach me, Lord, to fight for joy. I want more of you, Jesus.
All us pray all across this building. Let's lift up our hands and let's pray all across this building. Come on, it's all about Jesus. Hallelujah, I want to know him. I want to know him. Hallelujah, I want to know every bit about Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, church. That's what we're doing every, every time we enter this building. Hallelujah. It's to get to know all about Jesus. Hallelujah. To fall in love more and more with Jesus. To become more intimate and connected with Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody pray in this house. 
Hallelujah. Come on, maybe you've you've got burned out on religion, maybe burned out in church, but I want to I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus again. Hallelujah. It never runs dry. It never runs out. It'll never burn out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Maybe there's some other pursuits that you've had that, that they've just all fallen down to the side and they're just not, not what you thought they would be. I want to encourage you again, give your life to Jesus. Hallelujah. There's nobody like him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I choose the real Jesus. I choose the Jesus of the Bible. Hallelujah. I choose the Jesus that Brother Claiborne preached about tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. There's a sweet presence of the Lord in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody once said that perspective is reality. Doesn't mean it's true. It's just my perspective becomes my reality. It's why it's a paradigm. It's what I see things as. And if we're not careful, we can get the wrong Jesus. And we need a word from God just like this. This is one of those ones you want to download, put it on repeat, and go back. Because, you know, it's, it happens to all of us. We're human. You know, you live for God for any length of time, and eventually it's about going to church. Right? We invite people to our church. And there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. We do that. But we also got to remember to tell them about our Jesus. Amen? Got to tell them about our Jesus, Amen. And and, uh, and and if we're not careful, we get so close to being just—it's just our religion, it's our way of life—that we forget that this is an intimate walk with Jesus. And the Bible would declare that in all things He might have the preeminence. Let's make Jesus number one again. What do you say, Amen? What do you say? We just make this all about Jesus again. It's all about pursuing God. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. And, and yes, there's hard times. And yes, there's relational problems. And yeah, there's things that come and go. But man, it's all about Jesus. I want to fall in love with him all over again. Would you lift up your hands one more time as we pray? Jesus, we love you tonight. We are so grateful for the word that we have received, God. Amen. It's not about anything else. It's all about you. It's about being like you. Amen. It's about being close to you. And Lord, I pray that you would take this word, put it deep down in our hearts, God, into the very fabric of our being, the marrow of our bones, God, and let it, let it never leave this church's foundation, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about the Jesus that we heard tonight. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord.